Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. You see here it says, but God, and I'd like to read the passage for us again from Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are, God, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Now, there are some times in the, in the Scriptures where, where the word, um, we translate man or something, and it, it just means human. Okay? But here, it's son. Son. And if people say, well, I just have a hard time with that for you know, whatever gender we are, that we're called a son. But I want you to recognize that sons are the ones who inherited things. And so he's saying here that we have this special relationship. We are the inheritors, which is a big deal. And just for all of those who might be like, you know, I don't like that we're called a son. Remember that we as a people are called the bride of Christ. And so sometimes the ladies, you're called sons. And sometimes we men are called part of the bride of Christ. And so I want us to look beyond just how we look at it to say, you know what? There's a bigger picture here. We are inheritors as sons, and we are the bride of Christ because there's coming an awesome day, an awesome wedding day, where we will be united with him to live and reign with him forever. Isn't that awesome? Now, for our lesson for today, what I'd like us to focus on, but God. In order to set this up, we have to think back to Christmas Day, which shouldn't be difficult. It's only two days ago. Okay, so two days ago, we had our worship service. That was fun. And then afterwards, I had a nice meal. I got to eat a bunch of what the nietos left for me. If you missed out on coming to Christmas Day, you missed out on some good food. Okay, so I had that. And then Pat and I went over and we went uh, hiking on Werbler Vista, which is great. It's just a place up north between Cedar Park and Marble Falls on 1431. Highly recommend it. So Pat and I were out over there. And, and on the way, she had, uh, I was busy looking on my phone. And she just asked me a question. She just asked, you know, is that entertainment? Because she knows that I'm trying to get over this. Not always being on that, especially when we're together. I actually have something way better than my phone. It's called my wife. (laughs) But I was busy on my phone. And so she asked me a question. And you know, have you ever had it where someone asks you a question and it's just downright convicting? And you didn't want to be convicted at the time? Which is like most all the time, right? So it's like, ouch! That was appropriate. That was exactly what I needed, and it's not what I wanted. So I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm one of those that my whole family is kind of like this. We're, we're standoffish. You know, we, we don't yell and scream. We just become like a stone wall. And so I kind of got like that. And then, of course, that was not what Pat wanted, and so that was a little bit difficult. And so we were both having a hard time there for a moment. And we got out, and we started hiking down the path, and as we're hiking along, the topic comes up, and we walk through it, and we can both see how we're just not doing real well. And so we just quickly say, oh, wait a second. It's not just Pat and I who are here in the park, but God is with us. And so we took a time to actually own what I did wrong, live in forgiveness, 
and then do something I, I so love to do because it's so helpful for me. I've brought it up with you before, and that's I just take time to mock Satan because Satan has used certain tools in my life over and over and over again and just kind of wins the day. And so on Christmas Day, I said, hey, Satan, nice try. That was really good, and you've used that numerous times to win the day, but not today. Today we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and our God is present with us. It makes all the difference in our lives. You lose. Bye-bye. And then we went down the trail. I thought we had a great time, and we did. It was over, and it would have never been brought up again, but it just worked perfect for today, so this will be the only time. So, gone. There's a nice little lesson, but God, you see, but in the midst of all the craziness of life... Are Pat and I the only ones who ever have those experiences because I'm so messed up? Or do you have experiences like that too? That happens outside of the thick household? Okay, so we all have those times. And what we need to be reminded of is, but God sent his son to redeem us. To redeem us from our slavery. Think for just a moment. What we were as slaves to sin, death, and the power of the devil. We were on that slave block. And Satan said, you're mine. And Jesus said, I'll pay a price to buy that slave from you. And he bought us. He took our chains and he chopped them in half. And we are now free. Those Galatians were free in Christ. But what they wanted to do so desperately was to find a way where they could be right. They started by faith. They wanted to complete the action by their obedience. There's a song that says something like this. How long will you strive these days? How long will you seek or live to earn grace? Isn't it crazy? You and I live in such a way that we want to earn. Like when I was convicted by my wife, I was like, rats, I shouldn't do that. And then I started getting down on myself. We never do that. We don't get down ourselves because we messed up. We never forget to go straight to Jesus and say, Dear Jesus, you love me. You forgave me. Help me to live in that forgiveness today. That's what I needed to do so desperately. Right? As do all of us. And so they needed to not start with Jesus but end with themselves or look to themselves to hold them in the faith. They needed to start with Jesus, continue with Jesus, and end with Jesus. The one who's bought them back from their slavery to sin death, and the power of the devil. But you know, it says not only, so there's two beautiful pictures here, okay? The one is that we've been bought back, okay, we've been redeemed from our slavery. So if you think of our slavery to sin, death, and the power of the devil, we think of all those things we've done wrong, and God has chopped that, those chains, set us free, set us apart for himself. All those sins are gone. And for years and years and years, you've heard me say this before, for years and years and years I thought, Isn't that awesome? What I am is I'm forgiven. That's all gone. But that's not how it ends. Look, if you you have one of these, I didn't make very many of them, sorry. It says this, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So that we might receive adoption as sons. What Pat talked about today, what I'd like you to think about is adoption in those days could be by a very wealthy man who didn't have any heirs. And so what he would do is he would take someone and he would take them and he would adopt them. So someone that he just loved and he would adopt them into his family and then everything that belonged to him would now belong to them. 
Everything that belonged to him would not belong to them, and whatever belonged to them, he would now be responsible for. You see, that's the great exchange of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. All of the perfection of Jesus was credited to your account. You cannot look any better. You cannot be any more beautiful than you already are in Christ. Removing the sin, crediting the perfection of Jesus to you. You are adopted as his. That's really hard to live. But it's true. Wouldn't you and I be the most confident, bold, and humble people in the world if we lived that truth? Confident and bold. What's true of Jesus is true of me. I've been adopted into his family. When you see him, you're looking at me. This is who I am in Christ. Is that not what the scripture says? And yet we'd be humble because how many of us deserve it or earned it or did something so that God would actually do that for us? We were just chosen. He just bestowed this awesome gift on us. That when we're remembering it on the trail, we can use it and live joyful and free and cast Satan away and live in Christ. But God did that for you and for me. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate that almost every week, don't we? You're like, yawn. I heard that before, right? (laughs) Isn't it sad? We get so used to hearing it that it doesn't seem to penetrate the heart much. Under those masks, I know what you're doing. You're smiling from ear to ear. Because the gift that God has given you is more than you can take. But that's not all. There's so much more. Because God not only sent his son, but he also sent the spirit. Because we are sons, because we are inheritors, because we've been adopted, he's also sent us the Spirit so that we might live well through him, so that we might cry out, Abba, Father. What do we need the Spirit for? We need the Spirit to guide us through life. We need the Spirit to protect us. We need the Spirit to remind us of the things Jesus taught us. We need the Spirit for all these things. We need the Spirit to bring us to faith and to continue to enlighten us by by the Word of God. We need the Spirit. But here, exactly what he says is we need the Spirit so that we cry out, Abba, Father. In the middle of our struggles in life, we don't want to take them by ourselves. Did everything just change? Sorry, everybody. Something just changed. I'm not sure what it is. Outside lights, something like that. God, God turned the lights out just for a second. So this must be important. Okay. There you turn the lights back on. Okay, fantastic. So what you think of is God sent the Spirit so we would cry, Abba, Father. Do we ever try and do hardships and difficulties in life on our own? We know better, don't we? But we do. And so he says, cry out to me, Abba, Father. Let me give you the example that's in the Scriptures. If you listen to Mark chapter 14, verse 36, it says this. This is a, let me give you a little context. Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. 
Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In the middle of the difficult times, the most difficult time in Jesus' life, his prayer was, Abba, Father, take this cup, this cup of suffering from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, for some of us, it's the intense struggle of life, the the sufferings, the hardships. But for others of us, and I think probably a few of us, um, I was listening to uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller from up in St. Paul. He has some various YouTube things out, and I I was listening to one just this last week, a couple days ago, and, and it was about four words for us as we worry. Now, just by a show of hands, and you can do this at home too if you'd like, how many of us were kind of raised in a worrying family and so you learned how to worry? Anybody here? Okay, so, all right. So the majority of people kind of, you know, it just comes naturally, doesn't it? You kind of know how to worry. And so in the middle of that worry, can, can we just agree that in the middle of worry, what happens to the screen is we think of ourselves with this rock. Tira, thank you so much for coming up with this background. We see this rock and then this water out here, and we're like right in the middle. We're just hanging by a thread between a rock and a hard place, because we can't swim. And you take the last word off. So it's just, but I don't know what to do. Wouldn't that describe sometimes how we feel in the midst of worry? We're between a rock and a hard place, and we forget God is present. And so he goes on, and he tells the story Pastor Wilfmuller does about his grandfather, who was a pilot in World War II, and almost everyone in his squadron died. His plane was shot. The engine went out. He had shrapnel in his arm, but he flew back to his base. He crash-landed, and he survived. And he said, because I've now survived this, all the rest of my life is simply a gift. I'm not going to worry anymore. And so when he died... This was one of the verses, this Matthew 6 passage about do not worry, was his funeral text because he just had no reason to, to worry anymore. You know what's so cool? Is that he almost died, so all of life was a gift. You know what's even better for us? Galatians 2 verse 20. Have you memorized that yet? Are you working with me on that? Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ Jesus now lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that awesome? I have actually died with Christ, so now I'm free. I can actually live now turning away from that fear by remembering, but God. And he said that as you look through that that, um, Matthew 6 passage, What's so interesting in there is Jesus gives us four things that we can do as we kind of look to handle this. Number one, Jesus mocks or makes fun of worry. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single cubit to a span of life? Okay? And he goes on to tell this little thing. I love this. He says, so how many of you, when you see someone who's been sick, like JoLynn went into the hospital. She was really sick. And you know what we never do? We never come up to her later and said, you must have worried a ton, you two, so that she could be so well, because she's doing great now. You did a great job of worrying. Awesome! Do we ever say that? Because we know it's silly to think that by worrying, someone's going to get better. Right? It just doesn't, that doesn't work that way. It's a silly thought that we would think that worry makes someone better, and yet we're so focused on it. And then the second step when we cry, Abba, Father, we should be crying, Abba, Father, not worrying, right? 
But sometimes what happens is we think that worry equals work. You know, if something's really important, I'm going to be serious about it. And if I'm going to be serious about it, I'm going to be kind of somber and and I'm going to worry because that makes a difference. Now, we might not actually tell people that, but I wonder if that actually runs in our brain, that worry is something that I can do about the problem. Do you know that worrying in order to accomplish something about the problem is kind of like posting something on the Internet? It does about that much good. Have you noticed posting something on the Internet gets a bunch of likes from people who like you and a bunch of hates from other people, but doesn't change a thing? Have you noticed that? Okay. And so worrying isn't any kind of work, and it doesn't accomplish anything for us, but we tend to think that. What we need to do is disconnect worry from work. When I worry, I'm not working. I'm just worrying. And we saw earlier how Jesus mocked that. Who by worrying can add even a single cubit to his lifespan? Nobody. Instead, what we want to do is we want to pray. Why do we want to pray? Why do we want to say, Abba, Father? Because you know what the worst thing is about worry? The worst thing about worry is that worry is idolatry. You see, instead of fearing, loving, and trusting in God above all things, we're fearing the future above all things. Isn't that true? I fear what's going to happen here instead of trusting Jesus, fearing him alone. That's a real danger. And then finally, the last part is to God's words to us are to seek first his kingdom. So what we have to do is we have to go, but instead of my worry, God says, seek him and his righteousness and his kingdom first. And all these other things will be added to us. I read that Bible verse for... for, um, Bible class this morning. But just listen to this. This is such a beautiful passage. Romans chapter 8 says this. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And so we want to call out to that God and say, help me seek you. Help me to find your kingly kingly rule matter in my life. Help me to see it. And help me to trust that if you have given me your son, Jesus, and made me your son, and given me the righteousness of Jesus, that if you've taken care of that huge thing, you'll take care of all the small things in life that I need, like my finances, like my health, like my family, like my future. But God, as we look at that God, we see the one who rules over all things. We see the one who loves to give us gifts. We see the one who is faithful always, even when we are faithless. For Scripture says, he cannot Deny himself. Amen.